0: Hello and welcome to another edition of The Atmosphere is Electric. I'm Rich. As always, we're joined by our esteemed friend and colleague, Fran. How are you today, buddy? Yeah,
1: really well, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, good, man. Good. Obviously, buzzing after a, another action-packed weekend of Premier League football and looking forward to the week ahead. Uh, I think there's only one place for us to start. We're going to go straight in with the early kickoff. You should never bet on the early kickoff, uh, And it keeps proving us time and time again why Aston Villa uh, on a great run of form, Actually, you know, Aston Villa are now uh, unbeaten in six, won five of them. But but I don't think anybody saw 3-0 against Newcastle. Fan, what was your take on that early kickoff on Saturday?
1: No, I don't think anyone did see 3-0 come in. I think you could have had a few people suggesting Villa were going to play well and probably get a point or nick a a 1-0 win, 2-1 win, but not a 3-0 win. And actually, I thought it was the manner of the victory, which was quite telling. I thought Villa was superb from the start of the game all the way to the end. They battered Newcastle. Um, Ollie Watkins was superb. What a player he's becoming. Um, led the line superbly. Energy up top. The defenders didn't know what to do with him. Yeah, I thought Villa were, were really, really good. And Unai Emery, what a job he's done there.
0: Well, we did mention him as an unsung hero not that long ago. So we're going to take some credit for, for, for highlighting that. I think you know, what I think interesting is that Aston Villa have been a club from the outside, again, obviously, they, they haven't really had a, a, a playing identity in a while. You know, like Aston Villa were just that team that, that would go around and you know, they'd win a few, they'd lose a few. You didn't know how Aston Villa played, but he seems to have instilled a real, you know, playing system that suits the players they've got. Like you say, Ollie Watkins is is now the main man. Everything goes through him, you know, scored a couple, could have had a few more. And they just seem to have an identity, now, don't they? And actually... Like you say, it was the, the manner of the result was a surprise, not the result itself.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And when you when you mention identity, I don't think it's something which you look at and you go, "He's done. He's done an amazing job there." Like the job that he's done is complicated. He's just simplified everyone's roles. So a lot of a lot of it now is they run harder than they ever have d- done before. They defend as a full team, whereas before they probably defended as five or six players. So he's actually just simplified all the jobs of of all the players in his squad. They all know what they're doing. And like you said, their main job is to get the ball to Ollie Watkins as quickly as possible. So really good job that he's done there. But it's nothing sort of th- that you look at and you go, wow, you know, what a complex manager with all these tactics flying around. It's a really basic job. And actually others should take take note from that. Yeah, I, I, you know,
0: I think football is a, is a pretty simple sport when you boil it down. It's just how, how we make football complicated. And, you know, <laughs> we come up with all these different words of a low blocker, mid blocker, you know, Tim Sherwood, who's not someone that I have a huge amount of time for as a human being, uh, not that long ago was on, I think it was Talk Sport, talking around how all you know don't get baffled by these new words. You know, do not think that Ian Rush didn't use to press from the front when he played for Liverpool back in the day. Like, you know, that, that that full press isn't a new concept. The low block isn't a new concept. There was always defensive teams. We're just giving them new names. And, and Unai Emery is someone that's just kind of Taken all the noise out of Aston Villa there's there's no negativity coming out from them anymore like when Stephen Gerrard was there there were leaks in the press all the time about this and that and players doing this and all the rest of it you don't hear about them anymore they're just playing football with a smile on their face and they're picking up results and if the season was maybe three games longer than it's going to be they could have maybe even made top four
1: they've got an outside chance now haven't they if they carry on with the form that they're, they're currently on they've got a a little outside chance of making it. I don't think they will. Like you said, they've left it a bit late. But yeah, I mean, it bodes well for next year though, doesn't it? If they can keep up this form out of a, a couple of players to the squad, it's just, what a great club to be at right now. They're absolutely flying. Like you said, the noise around them, it's all positive. He's got players there as well who, you know, were under a lot of pressure. You know, your Tyrone Mings, um, Consa was under pressure, but nobody speaks about them now. They're just rock solid. They know their jobs and they're just playing football the way it should be, just basic I said they don't need to be this, you know. A, you know those two centre backs in particular. They don't need to be particularly getting on the ball and playing defence, splitting passes. All they need to do is defend and get the ball to the next person higher up the pitch, and that's all they're doing. Really simple, but really effective. And what a great job he's done!
0: And and a shout out to the owners as well, because actually, if you if you remember, it wasn't that long ago where that club was right on the edge. You know, they were looking to sell Jack Grealish for a pack of crisps and a curly whirly and and they stepped in and, and made sure that that didn't happen. A uh, and B, managed to get the club, you know, back into where it belongs and, and in a really good sort of financially secure, stable place. And, and now, you know, like you say, the owners have to take a lot of the credit for actually going, actually, you know, we've got this kind of massive name in Steven Gerrard, who's a, a legend of the Premier League, but it's not quite right. Let's go and get somebody that's failed in the Premier League, but is working elsewhere and let's get him into the club. And, and, and I think the owners need to take a, a huge amount of credit for what they've done at Aston Villa as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. They were they were very proactive, weren't they? At the time, I think they were third or fourth bottom when when Gerard was sacked. But they could obviously see the direction of travel, and all they did was go and find a proven manager. Um, you know, you said there he's failed in the Premier League. I think he got a bad a bad rap, didn't he, from Arsenal? He didn't actually do a bad job when you looked at his win percentages and the hand he was dealt with. He did a decent job there. Um, obviously, then has gone back to Spain and has won a couple of um, Euro Cups. So. He's a great manager, and like I said, they were proactive. Went out and found the right manager for the club, um, but did it at the right time. They didn't wait too long before the season was gone. You know, they needed to do to get somebody in there to hit the ground running, and that's exactly what they've done. So yeah, the owners deserve great credit.
0: Yeah, all looking, all looking a very, very
1: good time to be
0: an Aston Villa fan, and like you say, if they can keep those key pieces of their their jigsaw together for next season, and add a couple of little bits of sprinkles, that they could be a a real challenger for that that top four next season. I think obviously the goalkeeper is someone that always gets banded around when there's a you know a transfer window coming up, and obviously Ollie Watkins, you know, maybe a maybe a team higher up, for, you know, maybe a Chelsea, for example, who need a. An out-and-out goal scorer might come in and throw some big money down. But if they can keep those kind of players and add, then then you're right, they could become a very, very dangerous team for next season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I could say a couple of players in the squad and with with that momentum, you know, if it lasts until the end of the season, they'll they'll be looking at Champions League places for sure.
0: So, all all, all looking good for us. So, we move on to uh, the title chase slash relegation battle because the two games that we want to focus on sort of influence both ends of the table obviously uh, Manchester City Leicester and Arsenal West Ham and and if we start with the West Ham game in front of us okay because I think again it's a, it's a very interesting piece that and again we'll come to your I mean honestly you're going to retire soon with the amount of money you're taking out of these bookmakers it's almost becoming illegal eh? you keep getting away with this with failed bets that make you a barrel load of money but we'll come to that later I'm not bitter uh, obviously West Ham Arsenal uh, on the Sunday afternoon, early kickoff. obviously following on from the Man City game, Arsenal went 2-0 up, absolutely coasting again for the second week on the trot, and essentially threw it away. I mean, I don't know what, you, what your take on the game was, Fran, but it feels like that was a real turning point in the season for
1: me. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I've been in the Arsenal camp, and actually I probably still just slightly am in the Arsenal camp, so I'm still backing them to win the title. But I do think that's a turning point. That gives Man City far more encouragement you know, they were still going for the title, but now they're looking at that. And I think you mentioned last week, there were odds on, they were favourites um, statistically. Well, they are now hundred um, percent. But again, it's just the manner of, the, of um, having victory snatched away from you, isn't it? Is having a two goal um, comfort blanket and then having that restricted and then ha- missing a penalty to win the game. It just, it just knocks your confidence more than if you were to lose two nil or, you know, it's just the manner. Like, and I just feel that next week's game is going to be crucial, and it's just and, and not as in the result as in the manner of how Arsenal perform. I thought you made a good point last week around if the game would have been, you know, a few months ago, Arsenal would have carried on with that and gone on to win three or four nil. And I thought the same again there. And, you know, I took that point on board and thought actually that's a great point. Um, Arsenal going two nil up against against West Ham. They looked really comfortable, but then did exactly what they did the previous week, is sat back and allowed West Ham to get back into the game. And, I, and it's it's got to be because of the title. It's playing on their minds, you know. They haven't won it in a while. And I thought your point last week was a great point and I actually thought that had a huge effect on the game. Well, thank you for the compliment. I'll try and make some more great points at some point. <laughs>
0: no, but look, I, 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 you know, f- Football is played between the ears quite often, both in terms of as an individual, if you're feeling confident, uh, you know, if the crowd are on board... You know, and, and we saw some incidents this week in other teams where where the crowd got on top of a player and, and you can see the impact that has. You know, if you're playing with confidence and there's no massive pressure on the result, then you play with a free mind and you can do things that, you know, like I said, this Arsenal team to me looks like a team that sees the prize that they, they never thought was possible at the start of the season. And I think maybe it's just come 12 months too early for them. I think maybe they're just... Uh, feeling that now, that that feeling of, you know, the whole season, everybody's been saying lucky Arsenal, you know, this has gone for them, that's gone for them. You know, they were steamroller in teams that they they wouldn't normally steamroller. And all of a sudden it's just come to a a, a bit of a stutter. And I think, you know, you're still in the Arsenal camp. I'm fully in the Man City camp. I I don't see how Arsenal can turn this back round again now because, like I say, those those two games, you know, although on paper, you know, historically Liverpool away, West Ham away, aren't bankers for Arsenal. This season, they should be. You know, Arsenal have been that much better. They should be. And let's not forget last week, you know, Liverpool actually missed the penalty themselves to, to make that that 3-2 to Liverpool. So, you know, at the moment, I just think that Arsenal are becoming uh, a little bit kind of wrapped up in their own their own nerves. However, they've got, I don't want to say this rudely to Southampton, but they've got a free hit this week in the fact they're playing Southampton. own so in reality, they should get those three points and that, that does put some pressure back on Man City. They're playing first which puts some pressure back on Man City. But for me, this this Arsenal team looks, you know, they're obviously missing Saliba at the back. You know, Rob Holding does a job, but he's not the same sort of player. You know, Shevchenko missing as well. Obviously, you know, Tierney's a different type of player. I just feel that actually a couple of those injuries are starting to kind of have an influence on on the balance of the team as well.
1: Yeah, it, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Like you said, if a couple of those injuries, I think Saliba's a bigger miss than what people realise. He's, you know, he's a great player for them as he? he's been rock solid and brings that composure at the back, which you add Rob Holden in, I actually don't think he's had bad games, Rob Holden, but he's not Saliba. He doesn't command that respect and, and calm the defence and the team down like Saliba does. Um, but yeah, you know, playing playing Southampton um, this coming game, which, which I'm sure we'll speak about, it, they should get back on track. And I just think it's the manner of how they get back on track. If they go and stuff them 5-0 and sort of, you know, if they put a couple of goals past them and keep attacking and get back to what they were good at, then I can see Arsenal still having a real good chance of, of getting the title. But if it does end up being a 1-0 one nervy win, where they're just interested in three points, that's when Man City are going to come into their own and just walk all over them, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the the thing that I really watching both games
0: with, with, with quite you know quite quite detailed view on is that both of them in the first thirty minutes, you know, and I'm talking about the Liverpool Arsenal, West Ham Arsenal game. The first thirty minutes, it was like men versus boys. Arsenal was so dominant. I mean, I nearly turned over from the West Ham Arsenal game this weekend because it was so one sided. I just couldn't see how West Ham get back in the game. And and, and it's different if you go 2-0 up their lucky goals, you know, maybe against the run of play and the other team then come back. But Arsenal have been so dominant in the first 30 minutes in both of those games. To throw away those points is and, and, and only off of one trigger point, you know, West Ham getting a what could be deemed as a, a lucky or fortunate penalty that, that got them back in the game against the run of play. You know, Liverpool, obviously, it was very much a case of uh, one tackle that, that got the crowd back into the game. That That, for me, shows a... A mental fragility that they're, not, they're just not quite ready yet to go on and win the big stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right there. That and and the thing that I find strange about it is is like you mentioned, the first twenty minutes they were all over them, and if they'd just carried on doing what they're doing, they would. I don't think that I think they'd probably been four or five nil. West Ham wouldn't have had a kick, but like you said, that mental fragility, you know, nerves of, of the title being in the grasp. Just looked like it came into the game, and they just sat back and like it. It went from Partey absolutely running the show to when every time he got the ball, he looked like he didn't, like he wasn't a footballer and didn't belong there. Like he literally went from being a Rolls Royce to being a Ford Cougar or whatever rubbish car you want to you want to mention. But like, I was
0: hoping you'd go Robin Reliant.
1: <laughs> I don't, I don't think it was that bad. But like, you get the point. You know, like, he literally went from being like a Rolls Royce to just—he didn't know what he was doing—and he got booked for a poor tackle, and then he got dragged. Like, and it just spread through the team. Like, they look—they went from being top of the table, like certainties, to being mid-table, lower half-table team. Like, and it was just—I just found it really weird. And the only thing I could put it down to was your point of mentality. And, I mean, if they can get out of that and get back into the, you know, we're just going to front foot everything like we've done all season and that's the reason why we're top, then I think they've got a real chance. But if it keeps coming into play, which it has done the past two games, so the evidence is there to suggest that it's not going to go away, Man City look like they've got a clear run. So, But I'm, I'm still going to back them, though. I'm still going to go with that they're going to change that mentality.
0: And, and on the other side of that coin, an absolutely massive point for West Ham, you know, going away to Fulham the week before getting the 1-0 win getting a point against against Arsenal, four points. You know, I'm not saying David Moyes is a certainty to be there next season, but I think now we can say that West Ham are at
1: least a certainty to be in the Premier League next season, can't we? Yes, I think that's the case. Um, even though they've sort of been in and around the relegation zone, we both never really thought that they're going down. But the points total suggested that they obviously could have. But yeah, they seem to be... When you look at the form table and the teams below them, there's a lot of Ls around and very few draws. West Ham have got a couple of Ws in there, which if you can just keep nicking a win one in three, then that just means you're going to be secure. And that's that's what they've sort of done. They've picked up points here and there. Yeah, and I I can't see them going down. Even though there's a a four-point gap from Forest to them, I still can't see any of the teams below them getting to that points total.
0: No, I think the the running for the teams, but you know, West Ham's running isn't easy. But but nobody's got an easy running, unfortunately. You know, for for those teams down there, of course, Uh, you know, all of the games look difficult. And you know, West Ham have got Bournemouth, Liverpool, Palace, Man City, Man United, Brentford, Leeds, and Leicester. And you'd have to say, based on the last couple of weeks, there's at least six points in that for them across the the remainder of the season, which would take them, uh, you know, to that that kind of well, thirty seven points, which which normally
1: isn't enough but I think this season will be more than enough yeah 35 is probably gonna be the magic number this season isn't it I think the thing to think about with the other teams below them is um, so you look at Southampton Leicester and Forest all of them need two wins to go above them which just isn't with the current form just isn't going to happen and with with West Ham possibly picking up points along the way they're going to need three or four and when you look at the teams saying the form table are out for the, the three in the bottom three now there's not a single win in the last what six games between them. So not one between them. it? So in 18 games, not one of them have a win. So asking them to pick up three or four wins is a huge ask. So yeah, I think they're safe. Um, it, I think it now just comes down to the bottom five, really, in the relegation battle.
0: Yeah, we'll come on to come on to this in a minute. But yeah, interestingly, you're right. Of the last six fixtures for for Forest City and Southampton, they've only picked up four points between them out of a possible 54, uh, and that really tells you exactly why they are where they are and why they're struggling. But again, as we move on to what I thought of the Man City Leicester game, which is obviously influences both of those conversations, I thought it was interesting for for a couple of points. I thought obviously Man City. Uh, well, basically to Leicester, a new one to start with. But I saw some real signs in that second half of Leicester showing a bit of fight, a little bit of quality. And, you know, if if, if the game had gone a little... And I know understand that Man City made some subs very early in the game to rest legs, etc. But, you know, they're not bringing on you and I. They're bringing on, you know, international players. So it's still not an easy place to go to turn that back. And I thought, you know, James Madison had a great chance to bring it back to 3-2. I saw some signs on Saturday night that Leicester actually with the new caretaker team they might they might just be okay
1: yeah I think out of the teams at the bottom they seem to be the ones that showed a bit of encouragement didn't they against Man City who are the best team probably in Europe at the minute I thought they they obviously won the second half 1-0 but the chances they had if they'd have taken them they hit the post twice it could have been a draw and I say whether you put that down to the subs and the impact that had on Man City or how well Leicester stepped up you know, make make your case. But they seem to be the ones out who came out of that weekend well. You know, it could have gone really horrendously for them going seven or eight, you know, conceding seven or eight goals and hurting the goal difference, which, which is worth a point at the minute looking at everyone else's. So, um, yeah, I think if anyone's going to get out of the bottom three, it's possibly them at the minute. But again, looking at the form table, it doesn't suggest that way, does it? But the new managers coming in with that team, I think that gives them a bit of hope. So I think um, the next game coming up, they're playing Wolves that's going to be a huge game for them and that will probably dictate whether they're going to have much of a chance. They've got to win. If they don't win, I think you can, it's safe to say that they're down and it'll go down to the remaining other three teams in Forest, Everton and Leeds.
0: Yeah, I think the interesting thing for Leicester is that they have firepower that the other teams around them don't have. And, and you know, Iheanacho, Vardy, Dakar, uh, okay, they've, they've not lit the league up this season, but, you know, if I say those names, you that there's goals in there, you know James Madison, Harvey Barnes, you know for, for for me there's 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 goals in that team. If they can just stop conceding, I can see Leicester nicking some one nil wins, which you know at this stage of the season they, they don't care where they come from or how they come. You know one nil win is three points, and that's all that matters. Whereas you know you look at Southampton and Forest I don't, I, I, and Everton for that point, I don't see where they where their goals are going to come from.
1: No, I mean, that's the one thing Leicester have always had is they've had goals in them, haven't they? But they've they've generally been pretty tight at the back. But when you look at the goals for and against, like Leicester have got a good goal difference because of their goals for. Um, It's the goals against, which are obviously hurting them. Um, If they can tighten that up, like you've mentioned, and nick a 1-0, then yeah, I think they've probably got every chance because, you know, they do score more goals than the teams around them. But their, their Achilles heel at the minute is they're scoring a goal or two and conceding three. So... If they can tighten that up, which John Terry's coming, in, hasn't he, as part of the, the backroom three, um, if he can work some magic on that defence, then you'd like to think that they've got a chance. But they, so they've got some really important games coming up where they're playing teams around them. And what they've been doing with those games recently is losing. So they have to win those games. And if they do, they've got a chance.
0: Yeah, you'd have to say that if 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 Leicester go down, you'd have to look at the Leicester Neil Bournemouth 1, as probably being the reason why they went down at the time, you know, obviously Bournemouth have gone on to <laughs> fly up the league in the sense that they've won uh, four of their last six, and they're now sitting pretty in 14th. But you know, at the time, that felt like a massive swing, didn't it? Le- Leicester at home, really, you would have been saying you should be beating Bournemouth, and so for Bournemouth to win that game one nil could be could be the difference between Leicester staying up and going down.
1: Yeah, it could be, and and even even a point at that point. Now, when you look at the league and how tight it is now, just not losing, and that would have brought Bournemouth back into it as well. Just yes. not losing. So, and that's the thing that they've gone and lost games, like really important games they've lost, rather than just not losing the game. And and that's the reason why they are down there. I think um, going back to what we said about the Villa owners and how they were proactive, the Leicester owners weren't. They were they were reactive. You know, they gave Rodgers a lot of chance to turn it around, which you know he probably had a lot of credit in the bank after previous seasons. But, um, you know, Leicester were rock bottom of the table for a long period of time, weren't they? didn't score a goal for four or five games. So um, the owners, I think, deserve a bit of criticism on that part. They weren't um, proactive. And even when Rodgers was sacked, they left it in charge of two caretakers who were coaches at the club, both goalkeeper coaches. Um, and again, they're probably the two most important games of their season, which was Villa and Bournemouth. Lost both of those games without actually getting somebody in. You know, if they were looking to sack Rodgers, they should have had that plan. You know, we've mentioned about clubs planning and stuff. And um I think that's a reason why they're down there again is the owner had too much uh, faith in the managers and the and the the coaches, which are just not paid off. So Villa having that plan, you can look at what it's done to them. They brought in a proven manager and they're now in sixth. Leicester and other teams down there didn't seem to have that plan. You know, you look at Spurs, same boat, didn't bring in a manager, they're struggling a bit now. There's quite a lot of other teams that have done that and it just shows you what actually good man- managing, a, uh, managing a club in a good way like um, Villa have done, what it does for you.
0: Yeah, the, 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 there's a very interesting, I mean, I can't remember a time where there's been four caretaker managers uh, in the Premier League for such a long period of time. You know, at the time, most of them had 10 games or, or nine or 10 games left. You know, and there's definitely, for me, a split down the middle in the sense that Palace and now Leicester, I feel I've got the right people in to help give them the best chance of doing what they need to do, and Chelsea and Spurs have definitely got the wrong people in. And you know, the, the, the Chelsea, there, there was a stat going around last night that I think Chelsea won one out of the last seventeen. Oh no, so Frank Lampard has won one of his last seventeen games uh, in any you know in uh, in any club, and, and and just you think, what are you thinking about there? You're basically throwing away a chance to go on to the Champions League semi final, and and you're in a really bad way. And you know, you look at what Palace have done. You know, we were speaking weeks ago about the, you know there maybe being nine teams in the relegation battle. Well, actually, you know, Crystal Palace, Wolves, and Bournemouth, and we've just spoken about how Notts Forest, City, and Southampton haven't won a single game in the last six. Each of those teams, in terms of Palace, Wolves, and Bournemouth, have won at least three of their last six, and Bournemouth have won four of their last six. And the difference now, would they were, they were closer in it. Bournemouth are now six points clear. Wolves are now, you know, seven points clear, and Crystal Palace are now nine points clear of that relegation zone and completely safe.
1: Yeah, and I, but I think the highlight with Palace was they obviously realised that Vieira was going the wrong way, so they acted very quickly and Hodgson was in wasn't he? Like I think we were speaking privately it was like a, a day since the sacking and then Hodgson came in and we were going oh that's a bit strange but they had a plan they got him in and he had enough time to be able to work with the players to turn it around so I mean their first win was against Leicester um, and Rodgers was still in charge at that point which then uh, there was an international break which I think we had and so Hodgson had that time to be able to work with the players so it was just good you know, ownership of the club they had an idea they got him in it allowed him time to You know, work with the players, get his ideas across, whereas other clubs just haven't done it that way. And actually, you can see they've struggled. You need leadership in a club. And a lot of the clubs down there don't seem to have that leadership. Like Southampton's a good example. They brought in the assistant coach, assistant manager, I think he was. And, you know, regardless of how well he's thought of, he's not been a manager. So he probably doesn't have that leadership, you know, respect and authority that if you bring in Roy Hodgson, he's been there, done it. Like people know that he's a good manager. Yes, you know, he's, he's getting on a bit, but he has been a proven manager. And you look around some of the other clubs that haven't had that leadership and I think that's why they are where they are.
0: Yeah, and, and I messaged you over the weekend. The, the thing, and I'm going to I'm gonna keep drilling is the thing that really pickles my brain is that if, if Crystal Palace beat Everton at the weekend, uh, they'll be level on points with Chelsea. You know, it's Chelsea bonkers. are a team that have spent absolutely hundreds and hundreds of millions, you know, more players than they know what to do with. Palace were, were, for all intents and purposes, on such a downward spiral. And at the weekend, they could be level on points with Chelsea. It's absolutely bonkers.
1: It is absolutely bonkers. Um, I think the interesting thing with Chelsea is how low can they actually finish? Because you mentioned Palace. There's other teams around, there, like Wolves and Bournemouth. If they keep picking up points and Chelsea go the way they are, they could end up 14th or 15th Chelsea, which is just, you say that the money they've spent to end up Finishing lower half of the table is just phenomenal, isn't it? But I mean, that's that again. It's lack lack of leadership, isn't it? Like apparently, Bowley went in the changing room, didn't he, and just started yelling at people. Like that's not leadership. Like and you've just undermined the manager who you've just brought in. Like and I just think a lot of this is down to leadership, ownership of the club. Like actually instilling values, and I think that's why Arsenal have done so well. Like that's changed massively. You know, they're all running off the same page there at Arsenal. And I just think it's crucial to a club. You know, proper ownership and direction and having a blueprint, like the clubs that are doing well, like we mentioned the small lookers, Brighton, Fulham stuff, they have that blueprint, Brentford. I think that's why they're doing well. Like if you go away from a blueprint that you've got, which a few other clubs have done, like Everton have done it over the past few years, that's why you are where you are. Like you need an identity and you need some you need the right person to be able to instill that identity.
0: Yeah, I'm going to sort of direct people to a couple of things that that are outside of our podcast, which is always a risky thing to do, but I think it's important that that if you haven't watched it all or nothing on Arsenal, uh, from there, I'm going to use inverted commas, failed season last year. Uh, It's a really, really interesting insight into the changing room and the dressing room and some of the stuff that Mikel Arteta was doing behind the scenes to to help do exactly that. what you talk about, instilling a culture, instilling a way of working, instilling a team spirit that has got them to, and again, you know, We'll come on to it in a second, but uh, at the start of the season, Champions League had to be the the aim for Arsenal, not, not the Premier League. But the, the other thing to go and see is that, again, the high-performance podcast that we talk about quite regularly have got a key player from Brentford on there this week. And he talks about what it's like to work in the club and what they see as important. And they never get lost by results as long as the key metrics are correct. And and it's a really interesting listen if you haven't listened to it already. I I recommend highly anybody that's interested in how Brentford are run listening to it because it gives you really good insight into how they just try and remove emotion from the decision and they look purely at the facts and knowing that luck has a huge... So you talked about when Leicester played Man City that Leicester hit the post twice. You know, that's luck. That's That's not necessarily anything you've done wrong. You've created great chances that just haven't quite gone in. If they go in and you're in a different position... And at Brentford, they don't let that determine decision making processes on like managers, for example. So the two two things there to, to go and go and pay attention to if you haven't already, the all one, I think, on Arsenal and the high performance podcast this week, both really great, great ways of you understanding
1: how a good club could and should be run. Yeah, and I'm gonna chuck another one out there. Is there's a podcast called The Training Ground, Guru. And they had Damien Camoli who's the director of football yes. and has been at Liverpool and you know quite a few clubs. And I listened to that and I thought it was fascinating because the one thing he kept mentioning was the word culture and actually getting people on board with culture. But what he didn't say was you know, that, that was the most important thing about getting them on board. It was that they understood it and that then allowed them to get on board. Because if you are, if you understand the culture, you can get on board very quickly, but you might think, you know, but if you don't know, you're not going never going to be on board. And that was all his thing. It was around people. We've mentioned it before, get the right people in, but getting people on board, buying into the club and the culture and then the club, the clubs that he's been at have flew because of that. But for him, he said it was a big learning curve from going from other clubs, taking his learnings and moving them on. And I think, again, we spoke about the Southampton example. That assistant manager probably doesn't have those learnings and therefore can't implement them. And again, and he's working with young players who don't have that experience as well. So I think leadership at a club is really important, but culture, that's the thing. Absolutely. So, so
0: just to, before we move on to uh, the, the next phase, a question for you, one that's going around uh, on social media a lot is that if Arsenal don't win the league, have they bottled it?
1: That's a tough question, isn't it? I mean, with the manner of the the past two games that they've dropped points, you'd have to say that they sort of are bottling it. But I, I don't think you can label that at them. You know, the way that they've performed this year, for me, they've been the best team in the league, which is proven because they're four points higher than anyone else. But um no, I'm going to say no, they've not bottled it. Um, but let's let's go for the next couple of weeks and then we'll come back to that question. Because if it carries on with the manner of ways they've been dropping points, then yes, you could say that they actually are.
0: So let me ask the question a different way. If it was another team that hasn't won the Premier League in a while, uh, or ever, that was at the top of the league for as long as Arsenal have been at the top of the league, with the position they were in, with the games that they had and the form they were in, and they didn't win the league, would we have a different view on it and would we be calling them butlers and our arsenal may be getting away with that because of, well, I'm not entirely sure why, but, but maybe they're getting away with it. If it was a different team, would we be calling them butlers?
1: So me personally, I would chuck the the label you know or the answer that I've said at any team that was in their position. So I personally wouldn't, but you'll know there's other teams. I mean, Tottenham are the one, aren't they? If it was Tottenham, they would be getting that because the, the, the phrase is Spursy, isn't it? They're doing a Spurs. Now, I think some teams do get away with criticism other than others. And Arsenal, generally, this season do seem to have gotten away with it. But I think you also earn the right by doing that. The way that they've played and blown teams away in the top of the league for a reason, you sort of earn the right. Um, I mean, me personally, I wouldn't chuck it around at any other team. I'd give them the same fair reflection that I think I've done there. But yeah, I think there is some teams out there that would get harsher criticism.
0: Which is just just an interesting conversation. Like I say it's, it's obviously going around on on some social media platforms. I think it's an interesting debate. Uh, like I so said, from where Arsenal, where I've I've been fully in the all season, that Arsenal are the best team in the Premier League, and and for for most of the season by quite a long way. To be honest with you, uh, but it's just starting to turn. And like I say, I'm now fully in the. I fully expect Man City, uh, who have revolutionised the tactical game you know all of a sudden John Stones is a centre midfield player Trent Arnold Liverpool have moved where Trent is to almost kind of match that kind of concept you know Pep Guardiola has reinvented the football wheel again and I just see them going on now on this absolute run and they've got a centre forward in Haaland that can take a game away from a team uh, in 45 minutes because that's all they need him to play these days and and I think uh, maybe unfortunately I I think Man City will uh, get there in the end because they've just got too much in the tank
1: yeah, and do you, know, do you know what I find interesting about Man- Manchester City is when you've looked at other teams that have done well for periods of time, like Liverpool, or one of them, because it's all based on this high energy press, and it's you know teams run out of steam a lot, and you do see those teams that have had that style, like Leeds, were that weren't they for a long while, or high energy, and it got into the, the season and they just looked knackered. Man City aren't that beast either; they keep the ball very well. And yes, they do press, but they get it back quickly and then keep the ball for a few minutes. So actually they're getting the breathers whilst on the ball. Whereas other teams around them that do have that high high pressing style seem to run out of steam. And and I think that's why Man City have been so successful is it's not really based on that. You know, they get the ball back quickly, but then keep it. And I think that's why you have seen a sustained period of time where they've been the best because of that style. And whether that's what's happening to Arsenal or not, because they are starting games very quickly and then probably running out of steam a little bit. Is, you know, that's a question to ask, isn't it? But I think that style Man City have got, they'll be able to sustain that for the whole of the year and the looking, you know, the Champions League is tonight with them. They should be through. Um, but that style of play, I just think, fits well within any competition that they enter.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be, as, as we've said, for, for many, many weeks. You know, it's great that we've still got these debates and it's not it's not done and dusted. And, you know, like you said there, a second, you know, whatever happens with Arsenal, you know, it's been a phenomenal season. And if you'd have offered it to them at the start of the season to finish second, they would have taken your arm off for it, but I just think that where they've been, second would be failure now, and that's that's a you know to be fair a great place for the mindset of the club to be at, and, and next season they'll be talked about as one of the favourites to win the Premier League. You know, a good transfer window, a couple of additions. Because again, I thought the interesting thing I thought about Sunday in terms of the subs was when Arsenal needed a goal, Eddie and Ketia didn't come on, and. and You know, he he was on fire for a period of the season. He seems to have disappeared now. I just think it's interesting that they brought Trossard on, who has been a fantastic signing. But I just thought, for me, it it felt like Eddie and Ketty was the way to go personally. But again, we'll bow to Mikel Ateta's better judgment than mine, I'm I'm sure.
1: That that was exactly my feeling on that that sub. When I saw Trossard coming on, I fully expected Martinelli to come off. Or Saka, because I thought Saka was pretty quiet throughout the whole game. I didn't expect Jesus to come off. Um, I know he was on a yellow card but he was the most lively out of the lot of them Jesus yeah. um, and then when Trossard came on I thought well you've not actually replaced him with an out and out forward there have you Like, and again I thought it hurt them so I agree with you there I did it I was expecting Nketiah to come on so I I mean whether he doesn't trust Nketiah or not I thought he's been great when he's been um, you know standing in for Jesus with his injury so yeah I find that really strange as well but I mean fair play to West Ham as well you know they they did step up didn't they but the question is, did Arsenal drop off or did West Ham just pick up well? So I think the next few weeks are going to be interesting on in that sense to see how Arsenal perform and if they can bounce back. Absolutely. So we move on to, to, to next week's or this
0: week's games. And, and to, to be honest, looking on them on paper, uh, there's obviously intrigue at both ends of the table, but there, there, there's not a absolute blockbuster fixture on there, really. Uh, lots of interesting games. So so where have you gone to start with? What game do you want us to focus on to start with, Frank?
1: So, we haven't really got blockbuster fixtures like you mentioned, but we do have some teams who are in and around each other playing, um, which is going to make them really important games. So, I mean, I'm going to start with the Leicester Wolves game um, just because I think this game could confirm that Leicester will be down with Southampton so I think it's a really important game for Leicester if they win I think it will make the relegation battle even more interesting because there'll be two spots being fought for rather than just the one that's available to three um, so I think this is just a really interesting game for the rest of the season if Leicester can win it opens up far more um, interesting running for all the teams that are in that relegation battle
0: Wolves are a team that and Lapertegui needs some, some some huge amount of credit we spoke about before but but I think what Wolves have done again, is take this thing out of the season. They play great football. They know who they are. Obviously, you know, that Portuguese spine of the team. And, 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 but they added some, some spit and sawdust players in the sense of, you know, Craig Dawson from, from West Ham. You know, they've got a good goalkeeper, solid goalkeeper. They, they know who they are. They know how they play. And I think Wolves have done a fantastic job of just very steadily eking the way out of that relegation concept. And actually, you know, if they carry on on this trajectory and they do get back, and they do buy well, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Wolves in the top seven or eight next season as well. I think they're, they're a very underrated team and and arguably are just a centre forward away from being a really, really good team. You know, they, they they tend to lose games that they shouldn't lose
1: because they haven't got that recognised forward. Yeah, they've had some very unfortunate injuries over the past couple of seasons as well, haven't they? Jimenez got horrendous head injury and hasn't really been the same player as he, which they brought in Costa to replace him, which, you know, is a a bit of a rushed signing wasn't it there wasn't really a forward out there um, but yeah it's, like I said if, if they can stay up and then Lopeteg is a great manager isn't he you can see just the way that he's come in and completely transformed and I think they were they looked doomed before he came in um, give him the funds that he needs I mean I thought they made a, a few great signings in the January window as well um, they brought a winger from PSG didn't they for sort of five million pounds which was an absolute snip Sarabia I think his name is yep. um, yeah I, I think they've got a real chance of breaking back into that sort of top ten um, with a good transfer window. Um, I expect them to stay up. I think they're far too good to go down. Um, so yeah, And that's why I think this, this is a really important game. say so It's a really tough game for Leicester and one, I mean, given my prediction now, I can't see Leicester winning. So I think Wolves will win, seal that place in the Premier League next season. Um, and that will also seal Leicester going down.
0: I, I, I see this being... A low-scoring game. I, I, you know, if you, if you if you do the over and under, it's going to be under two and a half goals. Would be my guess. Watch it now be five one. But you know, I, I think it's an it's it's going to be a, a a battle of attrition. I think it will be actually uh, a case of who who takes their chances. Uh, and I think that's why actually, with it being at Leicester, uh, with that kind of new manager, and I am going to use the word new manager just because I know he's a, you know I know he's a caretaker manager, but let, let, let's assume that he, he gets the job. You know that that new manager bounce. I saw some signs in the second half against Man City of Leicester showing improvements. I think Leicester on the, on the counter-attack, if Dean Smith sets them up correctly, could cause Wolves some problems that other teams can't. So I'm going to go with a low-scoring home win. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. If Leicester don't pick up any points on Saturday, I think that really could mean they start to get cut adrift. And actually, you know, almost we, we start to really box that off. Having said that, You know, Leeds are falling like an absolute stone, getting tonked 5-1 and 6-1 at home in the last two games. You know, Leeds are falling at a pace that would worry them and they're away to Fulham. And again, that's not an easy place to go anymore. So, you know, I still think Leicester will have some hope if they don't pick up three points, but they really need to start stamping their authority on that position, don't they?
1: I think think that's the interesting thing about the league at the minute is you do have teams that are sinking like a stone. The only thing to, to sort of like caveat that is the teams around them Aren't picking up points. Like even if there was a few draws here and there and stuff, and it would actually be sucking Leeds in even more. But so Leeds have got a two point buffer, so it's only one win. But we mentioned in the past eighteen games between the bottom three, they've not picked up a win. So even though they have been tanked twice, Leeds, like they're still they're still clear. And I think it just shows you sort of like because I know mean, a lot of Leeds fans have been saying, "How are we not in the bottom three? You know, we, we're awful." But the teams below them are awful as well. So I think it does show that real, you know, whether it's a lack of confidence or quality in the in the bottom five, like that, it's going to come down to games that they play against each other. I think, which could actually seal the season. I think you'll see a record low amount of points keeping you up. Like we mentioned, thirty-five. There it could be even less. I said, when you said four points in the past eighteen games between the bottom three. So if you if you know you do that again for the the, the next seven games, you're looking at thirty points. So I think 35 could be more than enough to keep you up. You know, 32, 33 might keep you up.
0: Yes, it's a weird, you know, we all believe the Premier League is this fantastic product with the best teams in the world and, you know, and and to a point that is, of course, true and it is a fantastic spectacle. We wouldn't be talking about it as much as we do if, if it wasn't a great spectacle. But actually, there is a lot of dross in that league right now. You know, you talk about Leeds fans talking about, you know, how are they not bottom? You, you look at Spurs fans and they're talking, how are we still fifth? You know, it's it's bonkers to think that, you know, Liverpool the season, they've had a eighth. But, you know, it's it's just all over the place, isn't it? Like, I, I don't think I can remember a league table being quite as bizarre as this one at this late stage of the season. And there's still so much to work out. But but I do think there's, there's not as many good teams in the Premier League as some people will have you believe.
1: No, I'd agree with that. I mean, you look at teams like your Manchester United and Newcastle's below it. Yes, they're having good seasons, but they're not as good as some of the other leagues with teams around them, are they? Let's be honest. Like, And I know Man U have been going through other teams and beating them in their, in, in their European competitions, but they're not the Man United of old. Newcastle are on the way up, but still they're not a bad side, are they? Let's be honest, but they're not great. Like, If Spurs had anything about them and were putting in performances that the squad are capable of, you know, the players that got there, they should be miles ahead of Newcastle. Like I say, Villa have, have literally come from near the bottom of the table and are now sixth. And again, you look at their squad and players, he's, oh, like I was mentioning, have done a great job there, but it's not full of stars. So yeah, I don't think the league is as strong as, as what we think it is. Um, obviously, teams do beat each other from bottom to top, which is why, why it makes it interesting. But quality-wise, I think some of the other leagues are stronger, which I think you can look at Italy now, can't you? the way they've performed in the Champions League a lot of the clubs in there are doing really well in their European competitions as well so I think Serie A is a league on the up
0: and we, we could be on for a Milan derby in the Champions League semi-finals depending on how that goes obviously with AC Milan uh, knocking out who were my favourites and the team that I thought until recently had been the best team in Europe in Napoli uh, who also interestingly are a team that don't normally win the league and they seem to have stumbled now they, You know, AC Milan have beaten them three times in the last three weeks uh, and AC Milan were a team that were on their knees just a five or six weeks ago, and the manager had to change the system. So, you know, like you say there, and that's Juventus have had points stock, So so you look at that Italian league with Inter, AC, Juventus, Napoli, you know, they, they've got lots of strength. And, you know, Man United just drew two all at home with Sevilla, albeit, you know, some unusual circumstances. And Sevilla are struggling in, in La Liga. So, yes, I mean, I know you can't do that. You know, we beat you, so we're going to beat you. That doesn't work in football. But, you know, I just think that actually there's a lot of teams that aren't as good as people think they are playing in the Premier League. And it's it's, it's the excitement of the games that gets us through some of them rather than the quality of the games.
1: Yeah. And, and do you know what? If I said to you now, the bottom five in the Premier League, you could relegate them and replace them with the top five in the championship. I don't think you'd see a massive g- gulf of quality by swapping them around. Um, so there's a, no. there's a few teams in this league that if they stay up, they are going to need some serious investment because if they don't, they will be relegated because the team's coming up like your Burnley, so obviously they've got to keep hold of company. But if, if, say, they come up and they keep hold of company and players and invest, they're going to be better than some of the rubbish that are in the Premier League at the minute. So it's a big wake-up call for some of these clubs. If they can survive relegation, they need a serious turnaround of what we mentioned, blueprint, culture, players. Um, They need a big reset, a lot of these clubs. Yeah, I, I, I say, I keep saying it. I think this summer is
0: going to be absolutely massive for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, there's a huge raft of quality players on free transfers available, which makes the transfer market potentially skewed. There's not a tournament, so it means that we don't get distracted by a Euros or a World Cup and, and therefore you know, teams can focus on themselves. And as you've just rightly said there, if, if you're one of the teams that stay up, uh, you're going to have to do a mass, you know, that, that we're at risk of going down from, you know, and and let's as as it is from Chelsea down. If you stay up, you know, you're going to have to reinvest. You're going to have to change everything, not everything, but certainly a lot of what you've done. The teams coming up, you know, I I think this is going to be an absolutely massive summer for for,
1: for the whole Premier
0: League and beyond.
1: Yeah, I agree, and and actually, that you mentioned loads of players on freeze there. Like Everton have been the team that do that regularly, don't they? They go and get big named players who are probably not interested in working hard. You know, they got James Rodriguez, didn't they, on the back on the back of one window, and everyone was raving about him, and he was awful. But that they're they're the team I'm looking at now who are above the relegation zone. If they stay up, they need to have an identity. Go and get young, hungry players. Uh, you know, not like Southampton have done, where they've just got signed all kids, but get young, hungry players, and then get your odd experienced player in there, and actually then have an identity of what you're trying to do. So Everton have been down there for a few years now because they don't have that, and I think they're they're the example club of if you stay up, go and get a manager who's going to have that blueprint, who can help the club have that blueprint, and get players. You know, so they're not going to have to spend a lot on transfer fees this year. There's a lot of players out of contract, but go and get some players who are going to help you instill that identity and culture.
0: Yeah, I feel, Everton, said this before, I feel Everton have the man now. He just needs the time. I think Sean Dyche is the right man for Everton. I, I really do. Uh, whether they stay up or go down, I think he's the right man. I think he fits their their history. You know, I think he gets it, but I think he just needs a bit more time You know, coming into the season, uh, which is why, let's be honest, a lot of those other clubs that have sacked their manager haven't been able to replace because managers don't want to lose their credibility without having a pre-season. Uh, so I, I think Everton, uh, if they do stay up, they've got the right man in place. Uh, I think they will stay up and I think that, you know, Sean Dyche will take Everton to become that difficult to beat team that Everton used to be under David Moyes all those years ago and actually, you know, have a chance of, you know, being top eight, top 10. And and, and that's, you know, that's, that's, Everton are a great historical club, but let's not have it right. You know, if if Everton start finishing eighth for the next three seasons, that's a huge improvement of where they've been for the last 10.
1: Yeah. How interesting that you've just said that, though, of saying Sean Dyche is going to take them back to where Moyes had them. Like, if that's their blueprint, keep it and work to it. Like I know they've tried to sort of implement new blueprints, haven't they? But there's never really been that thought process behind it. Like they hired Ancelotti and gave him I don't I mean, I could be wrong here, but I don't think he had a lot of money to spend. You no, know, he did he bought he bought some players, but and Everton have spent a lot of money in the past few years. But there's been no plan around what style of play. It has just been we're gonna chuck a lot of money at some names. And I think now is like what we're saying you need to go back to what you were good at before. Like, that's the blueprint, isn't it? Like, that should never have been the case that you've changed. And that's why they've struggled all these years. So get that blueprint and let somebody implement it and back them. We spoke about it.
0: Recruitment is is key to this. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you can have the best managers in the world. If you haven't got the right players to fit their system and and, and with the right, you know, we spoke about low-state culture, etc. That is absolutely essential. You know, whoever is making the decisions at Everton in terms of player recruitment, well, firstly whoever's made, whoever was there for and again i I know they've made some changes, but you know for the last five years, thank you, good luck in the future wherever your new club is you're not with us anymore get somebody in that understands everton to its core that can can maneuver in that lower end market you know you, you, I don't want to see everton going out and spending fifty million pounds on a left back that's not what they need you know everton need a complete squad overhaul with people that are, you know, hopefully some local lads, because Everton, again, feels to me like one of them, obviously, with my accent, I'm not from Merseyside, so I can say, but, you know, Ever- Everton feel like a local club that, you know, if they they got some y- young talent coming through, like, I feel their fans would really buy into that more and actually just understand that they're okay with hard-working, dogged teams, as long as they're putting in the effort and they're picking up results every now and again. Like I say, they just want to have their identity back and, and, and that connection with their club. Couldn't agree more. And so we move on to uh, interest in the game I've I've picked, which is which is maybe uh, a little bit bonkers based on everything else that's going on. But I just think it's 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 a, an opportunity for us to talk about a team. Uh, and both of these teams were in the relegation battle, and one of them possibly still is. But I've, I've gone for Bournemouth West Ham uh, as the game to focus on this weekend. I think, and I asked the question a couple of weeks ago, you know, if, if Arsenal weren't where they were, and again, if Arsenal don't win the Premier League, by the way, does, does the Bournemouth manager, Gary O'Neill, become a candidate for manager of the season? Because what he's done with that squad, what he's done with that team and the club, and yes, okay, they were backed in the January transfer window. They brought in some new players. Let's be honest, let's have it right. Players that you and I hadn't heard of. You know, it's not like they, they went out and signed, you know, Mbappe and Ronaldo. They, they, they picked some players that, that needed some quality recruitment on. And they've won four of their last six. So that's, they've got 33 points all season. 12 of them have been in their last six games. They were certainties, absolute certainties that that January transfer wins be going down. You know, when we started this, you and I both was like, well, Southampton and Bournemouth, they're gone. And they're now 14th, six points off of Chelsea. You know, you could see them beating West Ham at home this weekend, and, and, and they're racing up the league at a pace that that means that actually next season, they also become a potential for a Fulham-Brentford-Brighton team to be in that space. They play great football, you know, at the weekend, obviously, you know, a bit of an up-and-down fixture, went 1-0 down, went 2-1 up, Spurs scored with a couple of minutes ago, you think, oh God, you know, is it going to happen to them again like it did against Arsenal? And they go down the other end of the pitch and get the winner. They're at home against the West Ham team that are still in it. You know, West Ham I don't think they play great football at the moment. I do struggle to see how, how a manager can make a, a team with that quality of player play that badly. You know, Bowen, I thought Antonio put an absolute shift in at the weekend, but he's not a goal scorer. You know, Declan Rice, again, you know, it's almost single-handedly carrying that midfield through a game. You know, I think this could be a really interesting battle. If West Ham can win it, they're safe. There's no doubt about it for me. You know, if West Ham go to 34 points, they are, they are home and hose. But... I think this could be a really interesting stylistic game. And I think Bournemouth deserves so much credit for what they've done in the last 12 weeks.
1: Yeah, I agree. So we, we normally do an unsung hero, don't we? And if we would have done that this week, I would have just said, no, I'd like to do an unsung club and manager. And I think Bournemouth and the job that Gary O'Neill's has done is just superb. So I'm going to give myself a pat on the back here. I called that it Bournemouth would be safe a few weeks ago. Now, the reason that I, I did that was I watched a few of their games. And this is going to sound odd, but... They don't have that much quality. I thought they've looked poor, but their attitude and their application and the tactics have been set up to suit that style of player. And they have just outfought and, and wanted it more than the teams around them. And And I looked at that and I looked at a few games that they played and I just thought they're going to be safe because that you can tell Premier League survival means everything to them and they want it more. So I actually thought they'd been safe for a few weeks now, and actually called—you know—I called they'd beat Leicester, and I called that they'd, they'd win other games as well. And as I said it's a strange one because they don't have that quality. You look at—you mentioned West Ham. West Ham's quality in that squad far outweighs what they've got. But the Bournemouth are out battling people, and they—they hundred they percent deserve to stay up. And fair play to them. And I'm so pleased for Gary O'Neill as well because he's had so much pressure on him all year. You know, they're little Bournemouth. And some of the pressure he has had put on him is so unfair. Like I he said, he's not had money to go out and spend like hundreds of millions of pounds. They've had, had to bring in players from the French league for a few million here and there. Like, And fair play to him. He deserves all the credit he's getting. Um, and I said, if, if it's not for, you know, we mentioned before, a manager of the season, didn't we, of Unai Emery? But those managers just don't seem to win it. But they should 100% be in the conversation because they were down. When they first came up, there were odds on to go down. What a job he's done. Fair play.
0: Yeah, you, know,
1: you talk about unsung heroes that we normally do. Solanke and
0: Billings are two players that, you know, don't really feel like Premier League quality, if I'm being honest. You know, Solanke obviously went for a big transfer fee, was a big name as a youngster, hasn't really done much since then. But well, again, the key to management, right, is make players better and get them in the right mindset. And, and Solanke looks now like a centre-forward that actually could be enough to carry Bournemouth through. He's, he's putting in a shift. He's working hard. He's scoring goals. He's making goals. He's a real handful. And, and I think actually, you know, again, sometimes it's not about the players you bring in. It's about making the players you've got work. And I think what Gary O'Neill's done with, with, with Slanky and Billings is get two players playing at the top end of their ability that could well be enough to make sure that Bournemouth stay up. And like you say, I think they deserve all of the credit and all the praise they're going to get for doing so.
1: Yeah. And then on the flip side with West Ham... Like we mentioned, they've been poor. What I've seen from West Ham over the past couple of weeks, though, is what we said about Bournemouth is fight. So, where they have got that quality, you know, they got battered for 20 minutes against Arsenal, but then you saw them running and tackling and, you know, really working hard. And again, I thought, after I've seen that, I've thought, you're safe. You've got enough about you to be able to switch your game from thinking you're a good side, passing the ball, to be able to grinding out results. So I think West Ham will be safe because of that, because they've got the players who can knuckle down and actually, you know, know, do the dirty work. Um, But when you have the quality in your squad, like unlike Bournemouth do, and that's why he's getting praise, that isn't good enough for a team with that quality, is it? So I do think that they'll be fine. But when you've got some of the players they've got in their squad, the last thing that you can just say, you know, is running. That's not what, what the West Ham fans or the owners, you know, spending that amount of money as well want. They want to see the quality on the ball, um, dictating play. So I think I think he's going to struggle to keep his job at the end of the season, but I think they'll be safe. Yeah. And again,
0: we spoke about the summer being a key part of, you know, all clubs' transitions. And 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 you talk you know, like you know, Bournemouth are obviously on the way up, but I don't see clubs rushing in to go and pick off their best assets because actually you know, who are their best assets. You know, we talk about Billings but, and Serenky, but, you know, I don't see Liverpool or Chelsea rushing to go and buy these type of players. But with West Ham, they've got some actual key players that if they lose could make a real difference. And obviously, Declan Rice being being that case in point, but Jared Bowen, again, I could see top six clubs coming in and trying to cherry pick both of those players that would really put a huge, okay, yes, it would give them money, but again, you have to invest that money wisely. And how do you replace Declan Rice? I don't think you can. And Jarrah Bowen has been someone that's come through the ranks of of the English sort of institution in terms of, I think it was Hereford to Hull. You know, he's put a shift in and actually is a Premier League quality forward. Whereas Bournemouth, I think, are going to be able to add and keep. I think West Ham is going to be a complete rebuild, whatever happens in the summer. And that worries me because, you know, who's the manager? Who's doing the recruitment? You know, there's a lot of moving parts there for a club that haven't exactly, you know, even Paqueta, who was a player that was tearing up the French league, this wonderful Brazilian football player, they've turned him into a defensive midfield player. That I don't know. I, 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 he seems like a completely different player to the one that I was watching when he was playing in France.
1: He looks bang average, doesn't he? You wouldn't. No, nobody's coming in to sign him at the minute with the way that he's playing. You might, you might get sold on previous performances for Leon, but not at this rate. He looks awful, doesn't he? That's the thing that worries me. Like you mentioned, is they they're going to. I mean, Declan Rice is going to go next season. It's been confirmed, doesn't it? You know, it's obvious he's going to go and he'll, he'll fetch a lot of money. But do you trust West Ham to go out and buy good players to replace him? You look at their previous recruitment, they've had about 15 forwards and they're still using Antonio. So that they're a real worry to me. Like you mentioned, I think they'll have a new manager. They'll have a lot of change of players. And do you trust them to sign those players? No. So they could be in trouble again. And, and we mentioned this reset. They need this reset and they need a blueprint get the money for Declan Rice, reinvest it into the squad with the proper players to implement a blueprint and I think they'll be fine. But I don't trust them to do that. No, the,
0: the, the interesting one for West Ham is that there's obviously an internet sensation in Will Steele, who, who's made a name for himself, obviously in the French League, who is a massive West Ham fan, uh, who has said that he would like to manage West Ham. Now, obviously, he doesn't have the relevant qualifications, so that might make uh, some difficulties there, but but I think that would be a a sort of appointment that would bring the fan base together because again, it's a it's a very segmented fan base. Uh, he has great knowledge of the European leagues. Obviously, has done a great job where he is. Obviously, that they, they are now losing games after his massive unbeaten run to start off with. But uh, I think that could be a the sort of appointment that that could reignite that fan base because they're a massive club with huge fan base. And actually, you know, West Ham should be kicking on and and be talking about as a as a Champions League. I remember even eighteen months ago, you know, West Ham players were talking about, you know, we're we're pushing for the Champions League, we're pushing for the Champions League. You know, yet again, they're down the bottom half of the table, and, and they just need to make sure this summer for that club is absolutely massive because if they get it wrong next season, they could be banging trouble.
1: Yeah, and we mentioned that a few clubs, haven't we? But there's been a few clubs who have been up there in Leicester, West Ham. Um, who uh, Wolves were up there and um, uh previous seasons before that Burnley, but you have a bad transfer window at two, then you are you, you're struggling like your club always needs to be evolving, the players always need to be evolving, the investment needs to be there. And if you get it wrong, you could be struggling. So, yeah, big, big summer for West Ham. Um, selling right Declan Rice, which we think will happen. They've got to get it right or they're going to be struggling.
0: So, we we move on to every every week, we pick a couple of teams, and you seem to uh get it wrong, but still make money on it. So let's find out this week how you're going to steal from the bookies. Uh, <laughs> and what I mean by that is that the last two weeks, Fran, you've had Arsenal in your, your accumulator and obviously they've gone tuning up, which means that with the provider you use, they pay out. So you've had some very nice winnings, including you were very quick to tell me the national winner on Saturday as well. So thanks for that help, by the way, because I definitely didn't get the national winner. So uh, I'd like to say thank you very much for that. Uh, but so for this week... Uh, <laughs> pal, uh, for this week, uh, where are you going? What what do you see, uh, Mystic Fran? What do you see?
1: Well, my winnings will be coming from Bet Three Six Five this week. Um, So yeah, so I've I've gone sort of down the same lines again now. I'm picking teams who I think are in form and with a little bit of value, and that seems to be working for me for the past few weeks. So I've gone for Wolves to beat Leicester. Villa to beat Brentford and Arsenal to beat Southampton. So if Arsenal can go two goals up again and then lose, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, we mentioned Bet Three Six Five. If the if you go two goals up, it pays out as a winner. So even if you lose, so it's worthwhile shopping around and finding the correct provider to give you the most value. So yeah, so I, I, that's what I've gone for today: Walls, Villa, and Arsenal treble, and that is nine to one. So you put five on, you'll win fifty pounds.
0: Yeah, the risky one there. Is is Villa, isn't it? Intensive because actually, you know that nine nine to one sounds very big for those, uh, but actually Wolves are quite long odds against Leicester. So, interestingly, I've I've, I've gone for, for for something similar but very different uh, in the sense that it's a treble. Uh, I've gone for Fulham to beat Leeds at five to four. I've gone for Crystal Palace to beat Everton at evens, and I've gone for Leicester to beat Wolves at twenty nine to twenty. Meaning my threefold is actually ten to one. Uh, so slightly bigger odds, uh, but again, obviously we we are we are against each other slightly there in terms of the Leicester Wolves fixture. I just think, as I said in, in, when we were talking about it, I think the home the home and new manager bounce will, will be enough to see Leicester nick it. Uh, I think Palace are in great form with Eze and Elise sort of behind. You know they're, they're scoring goals. You know, and, and I see them having enough to beat Everton. And having watched Leeds the last couple of weeks, I can't see how they get anything from Fulham. So for me, Fulham at five to four at home against Leeds. Is taking money from the bank, you know that, that's absolutely crazy. So uh, I've stayed clear of Brentford Aston Villa because I just think that they're two great teams and I, I wouldn't want to call it. It wouldn't surprise me if that one ended a draw. Uh, so yeah, I've got I've gone for those three teams that brings us back ten to one.
1: Lovely. So I, I've just gone for the Villa the Villa um, win just because when you look at the form and said past five games Brentford have picked up two points. So actually, in a quite a really bad run of form. When you look at you flip that to Villa, Villa have picked up fifteen out of out of fifteen, um, which you're getting two to one on Villa, and I think that's big odds yeah. for a team that have played five one five against a team in Brentford, who have the worst form in the top half yeah. of the league. We talk
0: about having flip flops on, don't we? Sometimes, and you could argue Brentford are so safe they can't go up. They're not as into to Europe places. They're not going to go down. So so they might have their flip flops on. So yeah, absolutely, I, I I can't argue. I mean, if, if I chuck them into mine. Uh, that fourfold accumulate becomes in at nearly thirty to one, so I might, I might, I might stick that in there as well, friend, off the back of your advice. And, and to be honest, you, yeah, I'm just going to copy your bets moving forward because, uh, yeah, you keep you start printing money. To be honest, yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, I can't understand why why we're not getting millions of people listening. Like I'm, I'm making you money here. What what are they
0: right. doing? Well, but yeah, but we do need to remember, friend, that technically the last two ones you've done shouldn't have won, right? Let's have it right. now. You're making money but they didn't come in. Arsenal have let you down twice, but you're still going for it. So, uh, you know, like I say, hopefully uh, hopefully, all of your teams go tune it up early doors and you, you can cash out nice and early. But uh, as always, Fran, really, really enjoyed uh, talking, you, talking with you about Premier League football. Uh, hopefully everybody else enjoys that. Uh, and I'll look forward to speaking to you uh, again next week, Fran. Thanks for your time, buddy.